0: Hi everyone, welcome to the NICU Mum, a podcast where we share the stories of New Zealand parents who have had a baby in a neonatal unit across the country. Today we're speaking with Caroline, whose baby Tyler was born earlier this year in April at 23 weeks and 6 days, Um, and they've only just been discharged from NICU, uh, would have been about 6 weeks ago, so really really long stay obviously quite a fresh uh fresh journey for them um he Tyler came home on an NG tube and on you know multiple medications he came home well after his due date so a long long stay for them um but yeah I will let Caroline tell you everything um and yeah let's get into it
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name's Caroline. Um, my family kind of consists of myself and my husband um, and now our wee baby boy Tyler um, who is officially six months old um, mm. but is 13 weeks corrected um, and we have got a little wee kitten um, Chloe who we absolutely love <laughs> um, and we also live with one of our best friends, Gail. So she kind of counts as part of our family too. So that's kind cool. of what our little family looks like.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. um, 13 weeks corrected. Six yep. months actual. Wow. <laughs> that's, um, yeah. Yeah. that's a big number. Eh? Do you want to go back and talk through your pregnancy with Tyler? Obviously it was quite short, but did you have yeah, any, totally. um, issues or anything?
1: Yeah for sure so I might actually go back even further and tell you a little bit about our fertility journey if that's okay because um, it took us a really long time to get him so um, we started trying to have a baby in early 2017 and we miscarried later that year um, and then we just had no luck getting pregnant um, and it was just kind of just keep going on the cycle that just kind of mm-hmm. was not progressing at all. Um so we ended up getting some help um and went through Fertility Associates and had um did all the things. So we started off on monitored cycles and then medicated cycles and then IUIs, IVF. Um, all of it resulted in no babies. So Gosh. um this was really, really stressful for us. Um, yeah. Obviously we've been trying for a really long time. Um, and then a month after our last failed um, IVF embryo transfer um, we spontaneously got pregnant and I put spontaneously in little ear quotes because it doesn't feel very spontaneous after six years but yeah the, the logistical term is is spontaneous um pregnancy yeah. um without help so um that's amazing that really awesome. we were we were absolutely thrilled so we found out um towards the end of last year mm-hmm. that we were going to have our little boy and we were uh, we didn't know he was a boy um but we were just absolutely over the moon. And then our pregnancy was progressing totally normally. We had no issues, which was amazing given our history. Um, And um, then we went to go for our 20 week scan and we were only focused really on finding out the gender we didn't really hmm. think about all the other logistics that happen at the 20-week scan that they measure the baby and make sure he's growing healthily and all of that stuff too yeah as we you do it's
0: really exciting on. part yeah. right it's funny what you're
1: having right 100 so um we were planning a little mini gender reveal thing just for our families our parents because they were all really excited for us as well um and so we we're running about 15 minutes late for the appointment and I always remember that the that the person who was scanning me was like real grumpy because we were late and we'd like really inconvenience them and the first thing she said was oh well I won't be able to tell you the gender but I'll at least do the rest of it for you today and so I'm like already stressing because I'm like I've got 12 people waiting for me at home to like find mm. out the gender this afternoon mm. oh god Um, so she was like in a real grumpy foul mood um, and then we went and started having the scam and um, after a while she just got really quiet and I was like mm. this doesn't feel that awesome Um, and then she said, now I'm just going to duck out and see the doctor. Um, it looks like your cervix might be open, but, um, you know, not to worry. Baby's looking really great. Baby's measuring beautifully. Um, and having not had a pregnancy that's gone that far before, I didn't know what it meant to potentially have an open cervix. I didn't know that that was a a really bad thing. And so, um, when she said that, I was like, okay, she said that the baby's all healthy and all of that stuff. So no probs. she's just going to go and check with the doctor and be back and she ducks out of the room, um, and before she's even come back, my midwife called me on the phone, and I was like, this is bizarre, mm-hmm. so I answered the phone, and she said, I just want to let you know, I've just had a call from, um, you know, the the scanning people, and they've said that um, your cervix is open, and they're going to take you to the hospital by ambulance, um, and I'm going to meet you there, I've given the hospital heads up that you're coming, blah, 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 blah all of the stuff, and I was like, flip, okay, so then still before the radiologist person came back, um, I managed to call my mum, my husband's mum, and my flatmate all to just say, our little gender reveal thing is canned. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just, we're going to the hospital instead, but not to worry because, you know, the doc- the doctor said it's totally healthy and all of that stuff, yeah. but the yeah. sex is open. Yeah. So, okay, ambulance comes, straps me in, and then I start to like panic. And I remember the first time I started to panic was, when the ambulance people loaded me on and this, the, the radio radiographer um said to the ambulance person, um, there's currently baby is currently healthy or baby is currently viable or some words to those effect. And so it kind of made it really clear that potentially they might not be, you know, at mm, some point. Mm. And so I was like, Oh, okay, this is way more serious than I had given it credit for. Yeah. Um. So, rush off to hospital um and we get there and then um I'm 20 and 2 at this point by the way I, the day of my scan is 20 and 2 um, mm-hmm. so we get to the hospital they take us up to um, maternal fetal medicine um, and they start having a look and they see that my cervix is three centimeters dilated um, yeah and then they start having a look around and they can see that there are membranes exposed and I'm starting to leak, um, fluid. So, um, you know, about two hours after I arrived at hospital, um, one of the specialists said, I'm really sorry to tell you, but, um, your baby is coming. Um, they will arrive within the next 48 hours to 72 hours. There's nothing we can do to intervene. Um, because they're so early 20 and two, mm. we can't intervene. So mm. your baby will be born and he will, they will pass away. Um, mm. and so, I was just absolutely devastated. I was, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah my husband was there. My mum had arrived at the hospital as well. Um, so I'm just lying there, just, just bawling my eyes out. Um, and then um, after all of that sort of happened, we're waiting 48 hours comes and goes, 72 hours comes and goes, nothing's happening. And so the doctors are all kind of like, well, there's no advice we can give you. We mm-hmm. sort of think that one of three things is going to happen either you're going to run out of, Um, amniotic fluid and Mm. baby won't have enough to develop two you're going to get an infection because you've got membranes exposed Um, or three you're going to go into labor on your own Um, Mm. and they said there's like the slimmest slimmest chances that there's a fourth option and that fourth option is that baby hangs on for three more weeks until it it reaches a viable date and we can intervene and they said Mm. we really don't want you getting your hopes up because we believe that this is the most unlikely of all the outcomes but we can't hold you here because you've been seven, two hours and nothing's happened. So we send you home. I went home for about eight days on the couch. They said, don't move. They said, yeah. but not, not full bed rest because that also comes with his own risks of blood clot and all of that stuff, Yeah, yeah. But, but don't do anything too stressful. Um, and so you are kind of stuck in the state of limbo.
0: Yeah. And then you hadn't had any contractions ad- or anything. You
1: were literally just dilated. Nothing, just dilated. Just, yeah, so bizarre wow and then after eight days on the couch I get really sore lower back um and some kind of what I describe as like period pains yeah um so we go back into hospital um and they say yep we think you're in labor um yeah still not viable still only 21 and three at this stage um I was four centimeters four centimeters dilated at that point um and then nothing it all just stopped I stayed four centimeters dilated Um, the doctors had no explanation and they said just stay here until we find We're out what's happening hopefully until something happens so um, we stayed in another two weeks and somehow got to um, a viable date we made it to 23 and 6 before we had our wee baby um, wow yeah, and so in that time, I managed to get um, steroids steroids on board um, and do some things that I could, could try and help him when he arrived. Um, yeah.
0: So, at what yeah. stage did they kind of stop saying you're not your baby's not going to make it and start saying actually, here's some things we can do to try and help baby once they arrive?
1: Yeah. So um, probably after when we after that time we went back in. So when we we're at right. 21 weeks, um, we're back in there and we start to. They start to say, okay, we think you're in active labor, Um, but then still nothing happens and we're just kind mm-hmm. of waiting. And so at that point, I started asking questions about, you know, if we do get to 23 weeks, what does that look like and how can we then um, go about intervening and all of those things? And they were mm-hmm. really, they were amazing at, at being really supportive and, and presenting all the options, which was amazing. Um, We had someone, um, one of the consultants from NICU come up and talk to us um about what, statistics look like for babies born at 23 weeks all mm-hmm. the options all the likely outcomes um you know at what stage they can intervene at what stage they recommend not intervening um all of those things and I found that really helpful um yeah my husband and I are both really um kind of thrive on being a bit real like having a real good reality perspective rather than living in hope and yeah. um, you know all the stuff we wanted to hope but we also wanted to be prepared for um, a not great outcome too and yeah, so it yeah. was really good having all of that laid out in black and white saying you know if you make it to 23 weeks there's a 17% chance that your baby will come out the other end of NICU you know if you make it to 24 weeks that jumps to 42% you know mm-hmm. if you make it to, to 25 and above it jumps to 75 and so it was really helpful to me to see all those statistics to go okay even if we get to 23 weeks this is amazing because they can intervene Mm, but we still need to not get too far ahead of ourselves because it's still there's still this not just potential but likely outcome is that it may not be good you know
0: yeah
1: yeah um so I found that really helpful to like just keep have a bit of a reality check because I'm really prone to just running away with like hopefulness and dreaminess and getting too excited. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being grounded to reality was really helpful for Mm -hmm. me personally. um, But even to make it
0: those four weeks
1: is incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you'd obviously had, had you had scans of baby in between while you were in hospital?
1: Yep. So we had scans about every sort of three days.
0: Had they managed to tell you the sex of the baby?
1: They did. So they actually told us the sex of the baby in that first hospital trip. Right. Um, so in those first three days while we were there, um, and it was really, it was really hard because it was tinged with, um, you know, we found out we were having a boy, which obviously we were thrilled about, but it was also tinged with this um, real sadness because at that stage we still thought that the likely outcome was that we were losing him, and so um, I just remember. Ha- like this joy and grief sitting side by side mm. at the same time, which is something I hadn't really experienced before, you know, being mm. so excited and so terrified all at once. Um, yeah. yeah. So, Do you
0: think it helped knowing what you were having? Because obviously you hadn't known when you found out you were dilated. Do you think it helped mm. having that like attachment almost or like, I don't know what, what word I'm looking it probably, for.
1: Yeah, I think I understand where you're coming from. It gave me the hope that there was still the chance of a good outcome. So yeah. it made it feel like it was less hopeless. Um, yeah. So I guess it depends on if you want a reality check. Part of me needed a reality check, reality check and part mm-hmm. of me wanted to still live in this hopeful little bubble that it could all be really positive. Yeah. Um, and so having finding out he was a boy really helped me to connect with him and to, yeah. be, to have that hopefulness that actually we could still have our our little baby boy. Yeah, and I
0: suppose it's as well, like rather than it being this, just being called baby or they or whatever, and it being like really a disconnect from your child to then knowing it was a boy and it was your son. And like, you know, you could, could, if you knew what you were going to name him, you could kind of have that connection as well, rather than it just being this like, almost hypothetical child. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're totally right.
1: You're totally right when it came to naming him, actually, that was, um, a few people ask now, you know, oh, how did you come up with his name or, um, his name's Tyler. Um, and that's a conversation I actually find a little bit tricky to have sometimes, um, because we didn't know whether we were naming a baby who was going to come home with us or who was not going to come home with us, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that really plays into what you name him. And I know Mm -hmm. that probably sounds a bit weird, but, um, you know, there's potential for if we have another baby, we only had one boy's name that we really loved. And so mm. do we use it on a baby who is might not be here? But also we yeah. don't want to give him a, him a dud name because he's yeah. a baby we're going to remember forever. And so yeah. it was a real um, a real tough place to sit when it came to naming him because we, we knew we were naming a baby who potentially wouldn't come home with us. Mm. Um, mm. And so, um, yeah, that was actually really, really tough to figure out. Mm. what we were what name we were going to use for him because as morbid as it sounds do you want to use your best and only good name on a baby that you don't know yeah if he's gonna be with you forever you
0: know Yeah, I get it Um, did you end up going with the name that you loved
1: we did we did thankfully um Yeah. yeah we did so Tyler William Mooney is his name and um we absolutely love his name so um I th- and we only named him about two days after he was born when it looked like he was doing really well in NICU. Yeah. Um, You know, because we didn't want to to take that risk until we knew how he was going. Um, yeah, but that's his, his story about how he got named.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, I know. Quite morbid <laughs> to think about, isn't it? Oh, no, I, I get it though. Like Like you say, you don't want it to be, yeah, you don't want to give him a name that you don't love just because like unfortunately you know he's not going to be here but at the same time you don't want to give him a name that you want to hit like you see Tyler as a seven-year-old or an 18-year-old in your mind and you know I get it yeah I get it um so what happened when you gave birth to him like how was obviously it wasn't what you wanted but how was his birth yeah for sure so um my
1: husband travels for work a lot. I'll just add this part in because it seems quite relevant. And um, he'd taken a couple of weeks off to be with me in hospital. And then this week that Tyler was actually born, um, we thought actually things seem to have settled down enough. We both had this real hope that we are going to make it to 26 weeks. And so mm-hmm. for some reason, 26 weeks was really resonating with us. We were going, yeah, I think it's safe for you to go back to work now. Um because we're only at 23 weeks, we're going to get to 26 weeks. So he travels for work um, and he leaves on the Tuesday. And then on the Wednesday, um, I went to the bathroom. I'm still in hospital at this stage. um, And I start bleeding um, on the Wednesday. And so I freak out, um, obviously, and Mm. um, everyone rushes into the room. It's incredible how quickly they respond, by the way. I I buzzed the buzzer and suddenly there was 12 people in the room. my mum was trying to shower in that bathroom by the way and she was starkers at the time and 12 (laughs) doctors rush in and she's like panicked and I'm panicked because there's blood and there's nakedness and there's doctors and it's like mum it's um, not about
0: you right now okay (laughs) right
1: yeah um and so the doctors all rush out and they have a look and um his head is um I was still forcing him dilated at this point and, and his head was pressed up against that hole and it was basically blocking any fluid from, from coming out, which is a good thing, but also it meant that he was ready to come out, which was not yeah. a good thing. So um, my mum starts furiously trying to ring Nigel, saying, um, hey, I think you need to come home. Um, looks like things are starting to really ramp up. So he's desperately trying to get a flight to come back to Christchurch. They take me down to the birthing suites um, where the rest of my waters break. So previously... They think it was a hind water break that had happened a couple of weeks earlier. Um, my front waters broke on the Wednesday. Um, so he had basically no more fluid in there. Um, and then I get down to the birthing suite and they have a look, and he turned. The reason the rest of my waters broke is because he turned, he'd unplugged the hole basically, um, and he was now sideways breech. Um, which is the worst, because if they do that, then they're going to have to do a classical caesarean and mm. getting out of baby at 23 weeks, using classical, there's a lots of risks that come with that. Yeah. So I'm sitting there hoping that, oh my gosh, A, can Nigel get back? B, can the baby turn around? C, can he just hold on a little bit longer? Um, and then again, the things just stop. My baby likes to just stop and start and stop and start and just keep us on our toes, basically. Um, and so things just stop. So night comes back down um, and we we end up transferring between maternity suite and birthing suite and maternity suite and birthing suite for about two days. Um, and then finally it gets to Friday. Um, actually, on the Thursday night, they'd done a blood test on me just to check because I am still bleeding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Friday morning, they come in and tell me that I've developed an infection um, and so they're going to need to induce me on the Friday. And I was feeling fairly comfortable about that. Not ideal, obviously, not the outcome yeah. we want, but you know, it felt like things were ramping up anyway. And, you know, yeah. if there's an infection, then let's get him out. Um and so we wait and we wait, and birthing Suite gets incredibly busy that day, just like hectic. So we it see does. nobody. Yeah. So we see nobody. So it like comes to lunchtime, see nobody, comes to two o'clock, three o'clock. Mm. And occasionally the midwife pops her head in you know, just the hospital midwife pops your head in just to see how we're going. And that's pretty much it. I guess to five o'clock, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, so Perfect. I will um go for it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm connected to an IV drip thing and I waddle into the bathroom at five o'clock. So down on the low, just do, do a little wee, um, wipe myself. And I'm like, that does not feel like what I normally feel like down there. That is not normal. Um, I don't think that's my body part and so I was like having a feel round, and I was like I'm pretty sure that's a foot and I was like Mm. surely not surely someone would have noticed by now yeah I was like no I'm pretty sure it's a foot and I'm like freaking out silently on the toilet and so I get up I waddle with my IV pole I like kick open the toilet door, and I say to my mum and my husband who are both in the room I was like somebody one of you has got to tell me what the fuck is hanging out of my vagina right now um And they were like both looking at me, like stunned, like, what are you talking about? Um, And I was like, there is something hanging out of my vagina. Um, And I said, and I think it's a foot. And they're like, no, surely not. I waddle up to the bed. They both have a look, which is just something you really want your mother to see at the same time as your husband's having a pair, peek through the curtains, see what's going on down there um and neither of them can see anything and so the process of me standing up and waddling back to the bed had obviously sucked whatever it was back up in there and so we call a midwife to come back in and have a look and um they I explained to them I think there was a foot hanging out of Mm. me and the midwife says oh I don't think that's likely and I said I promise you there was it was not my body part there was something hanging out it was um and she was like mm, do you think maybe it was the cord I said no nope, I'm pretty sure it was a foot and we I hate that they don't
0: backwards. they don't trust you to know
1: oh there was just like all this doubt and we went mm. backwards and forwards for like 15 minutes me being mm. like I guarantee you this baby is on its way out and she's like no you would have felt contractions love and I was like well I hadn't felt contractions to the point where I was four centimeters dilated had I mm, you know mm. um eventually she has a look with another midwife and they're like oh I think I see some digits in there maybe that's a foot and I wanted to be like no shit Sherlock like oh, I just told you this bad. 25 <laughs> minutes ago yeah yeah so um it was just it was really frustrating not being listened to in that moment mm, um yeah but felt really great when I could like Prove them wrong and be like, yeah, Mm. told you. Um, and so they're like, right, we should probably get the show on the road, then, shouldn't we? And I was like, "Mm, probably should. And so I still had no contractions, and so they start to give me the induction medication, and I needed two lots of the induction medication. Um, and it got to nine o'clock, and I was still just having what I'd call minor period pains. They didn't feel like contractions. They didn't feel like Mm. anything that would I needed to push or anything like that. It gets to nine o'clock and the room starts to fill with like midwife and stuff and they have a look and I'm 10 centimeters dilated or fully dilated whatever the number is for a pre-baby mm. and one of them said I think it's about time for you to push and I said it it doesn't doesn't feel like it you know everyone talks about that instinct that you get when you know it's time mm. I didn't have that because I didn't have enough bigger baby I big enough baby I think to to have that force behind it mm. um and so she was like no next time you have a contraction I just want you to Um, I just want you to push and so I did and it took about four minutes of active pushing and out flops this tiny little baby that was as as big as my hand Um, and yeah it was just insane that that actually happened yeah yeah and so it was terrifying Um, and all the while my husband's talking to me and and telling me how proud he is of me and stuff and it was it was really despite all the chaoticness it was really special like it was quite a special moment um but then as soon as he was born the room fills with NICU doctors and nurses and so I think we ended up with about 20 something people in the room all Mm. at once um Mm. all working on our little guy which is amazing um yeah and so that was kind of the the story of how he was born yeah um I think it's there's always a little bit of I'm grateful for so many aspects of our journey but the probably one thing that I find really hard is that you know most people talk about the day their baby was born being the best day of their life and um you know I don't have that same joy because I didn't know whether it was going to be the worst day of my life or the best day of my life you know yeah yeah um and so there's so that's probably something I feel a little bit kind of robbed of I guess um that 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 day that he was born I will never be able to say it was the best day of my life you know um mm. and potentially I could say it was the best day of my life but it was also the most terrifying day of my life
0: yeah you know no yeah um, I get it
1: that's quite a weird experience to have I am
0: um, my my boys were born obviously quite a bit later they were 32 weeks but it's mm. the little things that you don't get that I struggled mm. with um mm things like you know being able to like have your baby put on your chest and you get to like look at them and like taking all their features um having like seeing your husband like holding their baby yeah. for the first just little stuff that's not little that you don't get totally is really totally. hard to come to terms with um yeah things like so for us the boys went straight on to CPAP so their announcement photos they've got the CPAP masks on so you we didn't get to see their face properly for like days you were probably weeks and potentially months before being able to see Tyler's face but like just not being able to see their their features and seeing how much hair they have and just stuff that people with full-term babies take for granted and like I've had a full-term baby since and I was like mesmerized by all those little things that I didn't get you know because you the first time around yeah yeah I think you do well people do just take it for granted you know just getting to see your baby's face in full definitely and that first hold and like I say like seeing your husband holding this like tiny newborn baby that's like a normal baby size things like that so yeah I get that the conflict and it's quite bizarre
1: like when I look at him his first photos from that day um when they're that little they have to put them into a plastic bag to help keep them warm and so like he's in this plastic bag which is just so weird and he's fully intubated um you know and it's like yeah it's like it, it brings back the kind of the fear of that day when you it's the plastic bag for me is like quite almost triggering a little bit when I'm like yeah
0: it's quite yeah it's quite harsh right like seeing this tiny baby in the, like wrapped in plastic feels I don't know harsh yeah. and I don't know we didn't have that totally. the, boys, the boys were further enough along that they didn't need that but I've seen yeah. I've seen photos and I'm like that like it's not <laughs> it's it's not an apple <laughs> like it's a I know right I love know? that I love that it's not an apple <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely
0: absolutely Um, But obviously, he was very small. What did you say? 620 grams. 620 grams. He was
1: tiny. Tiny. Um, 31 centimetres long. Um,
0: 31 centimetres. I have to check. I've got the birth posters. The boys were 38 and 39, so he was quite long. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was. Yeah. Angus was Um, 53, but he's short. (laughs) Cute. Cute, though. Um.
1: Yeah, so no, he was he was really, really small, six hundred and twenty grams. Um mm. was really terrifying. And then after he was born, um, you know, they they bring the incubator past my bed, which was really nice. Um, so that I got to put my hand and touch him and kind of meet him through the through the incubator um before mm. they wheeled him um, off to NICU. Um, another thing I remember feeling, I kind of felt I remember feeling kind of like a failure, like my mum my mum instincts hadn't kicked in yet because when they wheeled him off to NICU, um, we'd agreed that my mum would stay with me and Nigel would go with the baby to Niku. but I remember mm. feeling jealous of my baby that my husband was going to spend time with him and it wasn't until later that the mum instincts really kicked in that I was like no obviously that's the right decision like what was I thinking that I would ever want him to not go with his baby with our mm-hmm. baby
0: yeah. but I
1: remember going I just want him to stay with me right now. Mm. I feel vulnerable. I feel all of these feelings and I kind of need his support. And I remember yeah. feeling a little bit robbed of like, actually he's going with the baby, which don't get me wrong. I'm 100% saying was the right thing. It just, it um, probably just saying to anyone who's listening who might feel like their mum instincts are kicking it a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's probably quite normal because it took a few minutes for me to go no, he's exactly where he should be, you know.
0: Hard though, right? Because like, obviously, the baby is important, and and they're little, and they're potentially unwell. But you've also just been through this big thing, like you've just given birth. That's hard. Yeah,
1: I Your know. Baby was and I think grand, it's but
0: you've still given birth.
1: Yeah, and I think it was more the trauma of him having been ripped away from me. Where I yeah. that made me feel so vulnerable. That made me feel like I need all the support. And so it was kind of this juxtaposition where if my baby wasn't going away from me, then I wouldn't feel upset mm. that Nigel was leaving me. It was the fact that they were both leaving, yeah, you know, yeah. that I was lying here after doing all this hard work and not knowing what this outcome was going to be. You know, Nigel was going to find out what was going to happen to our baby before I would, and I felt yeah. kind of like I've just I've just done all the hard yards here, and I I want to be with my people and my people aren't here,
0: you know? I'll be honest with you. Even when you have a full-term baby that doesn't get taken away from you, you still have those like bitter feelings towards your husband. <laughs> You're like, bro, <laughs> I've just done all the work. Why yeah. do you get the treats? Like, Right?
1: Oh, totally relatable. <laughs> totally relate to those feelings.
0: How was Tyler after birth anyway? Obviously he you said he was ventilated.
1: Yeah, so he was fully intubated um, from birth. Um, he was intubated for a really long time to be honest I can't remember the exact number of days that all of these things happened for but I think he was fully intubated um, for seven days to start with and then he had a couple of days on um, NIPPV and then went back onto um, a full fully ventilated um, and he was fully ventilated I think for another 35 days after that um, and then after that, he went obviously through all the steps of um, NIPPV, CPAP, high flow, low flow, and eventually came off. Um, but he was really sick for a lot of his his NICU journey. Um, he got pneumonia twice. Um, he his lungs de-recruited um, multiple times. Um, he got sepsis. Um, they thought he had meningitis, but they could never. Um, do a lumbar puncture on him he was too small and too fragile yeah, to to yeah. get the needle in so they never confirmed whether he did have meningitis but they treated him for meningitis nonetheless mm-hmm. um, he um, yeah he had a number of things kind of happen throughout that journey and, and um, when he got septic um, and they, they thought there was meningitis I remember having a real frank conversation with the same consultant who had talked to us back when we were still in maternity ward um and she said I know that you guys like things really frank you know I know that you like to know the odds of things and she said I'm really sorry to tell you that um, this is not this is not good she said I I have no stats to tell you but this is not good um Mm. and so you know again that was another point where we thought potentially um he might not come back from that um but thankfully he did, you know, he bounced back. He's um, they always refer to him as just doing things at his own pace. So yep. he's um he just does things nice and slowly, my guy. Um, mm-hmm. and just kind of eventually sorts himself out, eventually gets better, eventually um hits the next milestone. Um so he's not winning any awards for speed, but he's <laughs> um, you know, doing the hard yaka to um to actually get better. Maybe um, that'll come later. Well, which is amazing. Yeah, I know, right? Hopefully. <laughs> um But in terms of the things that he's got from his prematurity, um, he has chronic lung disease. Um, He's got a, um, he had a PDA which closed. um, So that's the duct in the heart that doesn't close um, to start with when they're too prem. Um, He's got pulmonary stenosis, which is another minor heart condition. Um, He's got gourd, which is just really severe reflux. And mm-hmm. he has got, um, retinopathy of prematurity, which is, um, an eye condition, um, that comes with being oxygenated for too long at birth. Yeah. Um, and so he had that quite severely, um, he got treated with, um, injections into his eyes, mm-hmm. um, which was not fun to watch, but really helped and then actually just two days ago he had his surgery um you know if you get treated with these injections you have a um a surgery down the track an exploratory surgery to see how how your eyes are responding um mm. and thankfully he's responded um, pretty well which is really really good news um but my gosh seeing him and come out of general anesthetic was not fun um I feel for any mummers who have to do that when their babies are so little mm. my goodness um especially I think with his chronic lung disease, um, him picking up the breathing again after having been um, under, under general anesthetic um, was mm. really hard. And coming back mm. from that was took a really long time to get him back up to where he was. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where he's at with, with stuff from his journey. Um, mm-hmm. But he had a long, hard journey in NICU. We were there for 152 days in total. Um and yeah, like I say, throughout that time, we had multiple, multiple health things come up. Um, you know, he was in an incubator for a really long time. Um, yeah. And then he went, obviously, into a cot, which was just amazing. That was such a cool day. And the reason he went into a cot when he did actually was um, one of our lovely nurses, she came along and she said, you know what? I think his problem is that he's just a baby and he wants to be swaddled. He doesn't want to be lying here in a nappy. Um, you know, he's just over it because he was in it. He had a real kind of grumpy misdemeanor misdemeanor, demeanor. Um, <laughs> you know, where he was just like miserable and like irritable and like yeah. not settled at all. Yeah. And she said, No, nah, I think I know what this baby needs. I think he needs to be swaddled. And the only way we can swaddle him is if we take him out of this incubator, we put him into a cot and we get him clothed. Yeah. Um and so ten minutes after that conversation, she'd found a cot, she'd found some clothes for him. Um she swaddled him she said he's not technically the right weight to have to be in a cot yet but but I'm I'm just over it I'm overseeing this baby so upset because all he wants is to just be feel like he's in a nice snug environment like he would be if he was still in the womb
0: as babies so do right it. like full-term babies being swaddled sometimes as well he's just 100%. being a baby
1: yeah and so she did it um and I remember being like terrified, being like, "Oh my gosh! Like, if he's not in the right weight to do this, is this a terrible idea?" Mm. Um, but she did it, and we did it, and um, he did amazingly. His whole his whole demeanor changed. He was nice and settled. He became a really calm baby, um, and all of his um, stats did better as a result of that too. You know, he, he was saturating better. Um, he had a better rest, resting rate. He had a better you know, all of the things were better, um, yeah. and it's funny, the doctors walked in the next morning for rounds, and they all looked at each other, and were like, what is this baby doing out of an incubator, and they were all like, <laughs> so frustrated, um, and then the night nurse um, showed him, showed them all his stats from overnight, and they're like, oh, Okay, maybe this is something we hadn't taken into consideration. And so they'd like okay. all come in with like this real frustrated, like, yeah, Rah, someone's gonna have their head for this. And then actually, oh okay.
0: It's yeah. like
1: something we can't account for in the in the numbers and the data. I always
0: found that the doctors were so focused on like the statistics and the numbers and yeah. they'd like look down their file and be like, Oh no, he had three DSATs last night but the nurses yeah. are the ones that know the baby so they'd be like well he had d because he had a full belly same exactly too. the doctor's exactly. like oh but he's not this weight and he's not this age and the nurse is like well he was grumpy and now he's happy yeah
1: exactly <laughs> yeah definitely so no yeah. that was really cool um and then we just we just traveled our way around um naku um and doing our thing well when he became when he was in a cot and we were in room one, um, which was the level three intensive care room for the majority of our stay. I think for about three, almost four of those months, and then we had the last kind of six weeks or so, where in the kind of um, not quite as high intensive care, um, which was a nice relief to kind of get out of those that room that felt so um, yeah, yeah. intense, you
0: know, very medical in there, right? Versus Definitely. The others are just more like wards I don't know like baby nurseries <laughs> that's it
1: I think there was a tinge of sadness though when we moved around the rooms too because a lot of the nurses who we'd built really good relationships with um, they only worked in those high level intensive care rooms and so yeah. when we moved on we didn't really see them again for much of our journey um, and so you know you spend all this time building these amazing relationships with these nurses who know your baby inside yeah. and out yeah, and um, and then suddenly you no longer see them, and I had the same kind of, um, feeling when we left Nick. It was it was so amazing to get him home. Like, oh my goodness, the best feeling ever, but also tinged with a little bit of sadness. Going, there are all these people here who have been so influential in, in our lives who can't, who mm. feel like family at this point. You know, they mm. they've saved our baby's life on multiple occasions. They've been mm. there for me when I've had mental breakdowns and just been like sitting there in tears. Um, you know, I feel like I've built these friendships and relationships with these people who I'll potentially never see again. Yeah. Um and so yeah, like I say, it was it was really special connections we have with these people and really hard to say goodbye while also having this insane excitement to bring our baby home. It was yeah. like all this mix of emotions.
0: Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I I felt that as well with the other parents, the other mums that I'd met when I was in the unit. Like Definitely. oh my gosh I have to leave this person that's been there for me every day for the last however many weeks and I've been there for her and we've cried Absolutely. and we've laughed and we've like made it through that and you've just got to like leave them there and like I know I felt so guilty knowing that they were still stuck in there and I was going home
1: I think for me it was probably a little bit different just in that we were there for such a long time like five months that I'd seen so many mums come and go already. Mm. So I'd already mm. built these great relationships with these women who had passed on to the next stage and had their babies at home. And so now I was in the stage of like having built these new relationships. And whilst it was sad to see them still stuck in NICU, I kind of um, had seen the op- opposite side of it where right. I was the one stuck in NICU. And so yeah, yeah. it kind of just felt like a nice cycle. Like I was kind of handing over the baton Cause yeah. I could already see them starting to build these new relationships with new mums. So it was kind of a, um, it was, it was kind of a nice symbiosis there where yeah. we were all there for our time and we all kind of keep in touch loosely since we've been gone. Yeah. Um, but we were all just there as like a touch point for a small chunk of their journey rather mm-hmm. than the whole yeah. one. Whereas yeah. the nurses for me personally they were there from day one till day 152
0: Mm. um yeah so yeah yeah that's that you had quite a a positive journey in the scheme of things
1: I feel like I did um you know I just when I think of the journey it was the hardest thing I've ever done you know and it was there were so many days where I had breakdowns and there were so many days where I didn't know what was going to happen and um, yeah just just so many unknowns and feeling like I'd lost and not had the opportunity to do so many other things that that other first-time mums get to do like you say have your baby on your chest for the first time and you know so there are all these pieces that feel like they're slightly missing but also when I look at my journey, like, all I can think of is gratefulness. Like, I just, I just feel like this overwhelming sense of, you know, how do you thank the people who saved your baby's life more than once, more than twice, more than 10 times, more than 50 times, you know, how do you, how do you thank those people for picking you up off the floor on your hardest days? Like, there's just no words. Like, it, it actually was just an overwhelming journey of, like, feeling so loved and cared for and respected and um just yeah, I just feel so, so grateful for everything that anyone who was involved in that journey has done for us. Um like it just yeah, there's just no other way of really mm. like there just aren't words, you know, there mm. are there just aren't
0: words to say thank you for yeah, for everything yeah. you've done. Yeah. Um, Especially coming from your perspective where you were told at 20 weeks that your baby was not going to survive. To now having That's this it. six-month-old baby who had this really hard journey, but is here and he's happy and he's, you know, totally. like he's doing well, thanks to all of these people that, that didn't just completely write you off and write your baby off. Exactly. That's it.
1: That's it. Yeah. They they put in hard yakka. You know, they put in days and nights and hours and, you know, so many of them spent so much time getting to know him and getting to know us. You know, you have the odd the odd one who passes through and, and they're just there to do their job and you know nine to five and they don't get to know your baby as well and they don't yeah. listen to you as his mother quite as much as you would like but for the most part there are so many who really took the time to get invested in him and us and our journey and to understand the background of him to know that why he might be feeling a certain way or acting in a certain way now Yeah, yeah. Um, rather than just looking at a number on a piece of paper or um yeah like it, they I just I just can't even put into words how how they just do this massive deep dive every day to get to know you and your baby and I found it really really valuable and really impressive yeah mm-hmm. I know
0: it's a um it's a heavy question considering everything you went through to to get no, of course but if yep. you do have another baby do they have any kind of ideas of why you were dilated so early and any plans of what to do to help that for for subsequent pregnancies?
1: Yeah, so we really want to have more babies. Um, we I would love to have a big family. I would love to have siblings for Tyler. Um, and so we really want that to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And when we've sort of looked at t- looked at what happened and talked to the specialist involved, um, they've sort of not given any real reason as to what they think happened. Um, they think potentially the, the um, there were signs that had my pregnancy gone on longer, I may have developed preeclampsia. Right. Um, so that may be a reason that contributed, but they don't really know. Um, yeah. They just put it down to PPROM and SROM, which to be totally honest,
0: I can't remember what that can stand for. I don't know S-R-O-M, but P-P-R-O-M is preterm premature rupture of membranes.
1: Yes. Thank you. Um, so they there's no real reason, but they have said that once you've got it, once you've had it, um, in all likelihood, you'll have it again. And so right. going forward, um, they've just said that from day one of pregnancy, they'll I'll be really closely monitored. So probably every two weeks go in for scans. Yeah. Um, be under the care of a midwife from the day we find out we're pregnant rather than, yeah. you know, at the 8, 10, 12 week mark. Um, and then they will just keep a really close eye on the length of my cervix. And yeah. as soon as they see any sign that potentially that's shortening, they would go in and, and look at doing a circlage yeah. um, to try and prevent those, um, the cervix from opening and the membranes from getting exposed. I think, um, unfortunately, you know, had had we found out just a little bit earlier that that the cervix was opening, um, we would have been a really good candidate for for having a circlage, yeah. um, which for those who don't know is just a stitch in the cervix to hold it closed. Um, but as soon as you've got membranes exposed, you they can no longer do that, and so yeah. um, we just missed out by just you know my my waters only broke once we got to hospital that day, so any sooner than that we would have been great Um, but the good thing about it is going forward they're going to monitor me so closely that the the first sign they'll be able to do that and hopefully they have said that you know regardless of what steps they take um, it's likely that any future babies will still be born premature but they would just hope to keep them in longer than the 23 week mark Mm. thankfully Mm. because holy hecka the 23 week mark is just insane
0: yeah Yeah. Um, when I had Angus, my singleton, um, Mm -hmm. so I had the twins at 32 weeks, but my midwife with Angus was like, obviously I was really anxious, but she was like, you know, you you had twins. So they came early because they were twins. Like it wasn't me. It wasn't my Mm. body. It was the fact that there was two of them and I was full term pretty much in, Mm. in the sides of my belly. Um, so I had a scan of my cervix at 16 weeks. Um, to, to check it um, and mm-hmm. then that was fine and then they discharged me but my friend who had her twins at 28 weeks due to incompetent cervix um mm-hmm. she's just had her third baby um mm-hmm. she had a scan at 12 weeks and that's when they put the stitch in for her because her cervix yeah. was funneling um yeah. and then she got to 36 weeks and they took it out and then she just mm-hmm. had her baby she'll be two weeks old tomorrow at th- just before 39 weeks that's incredible. So there is hope. There, there is, is hope. hope. There is hope. The stitch can Definitely. do can do a lot. It's, um, yeah, it's a great medical tool if they, if really, they can really do it is. at the right time. You're totally right. Yeah. And I think you know there was
1: talk at one point about whether they could do it um, preventatively. You know, yeah. for future pregnancies, whether they could just as, as soon as I find out I'm pregnant, whether they could just put the stitch in at that point. Um, but I think there's lots of medical um, yeah, arguments yeah. as to why you wouldn't want to do that, you know, risk of infection and things like that um, until medically necessary. So as soon as yeah. there's signs of, um, you know, anything starting to happen at that point, they go, cool, let's, yeah. let's pop it in at this point. Yeah, I think um, she was,
0: she must have been 12 or she might have been 14 weeks when she got hers in. Um, but yeah, her cervix first started funneling, so that's why they did it. But yeah, like I say, a great, a great tool to definitely if if the cervix is the problem it's obviously not always the problem (laughs) Um, no definitely no it was definitely my
1: problem too I just remembered when you said that the incompetent cervix is Mm. as what they've sort of diagnosed me with as well Mm. so um yeah it's a fantastic tool when that when that is the problem
0: yeah yeah for sure all right well thank you so much for sharing your story with me I'm so glad that that Tyler is doing well and that you guys are finally home you've been home for what it'd be about six weeks
1: six weeks now which is just amazing it feels yeah. so awesome to have him home it's hard being at home too though you know there yeah. are there are things that come with being at home that you don't recognize as a first-time mum as well you know <laughs> NICU is a really hard journey but coming home is equally as hard and you're for like different oh my reasons. god I've got to look after
0: this whole baby by myself
1: right is there a like is there a user guide is there a manual to help me do this is there something that's gonna a magic medicine that's gonna make me feel like I've had eight hours sleep when I've only had two? um like there are so many things where I'm like this journey is equally hard but just in totally different ways but the best journey I've ever taken in my life you know obviously would not change it for the world and so so glad to have him home is he um, in the NICU
0: routine the three hourly on the dot routine sort
1: of uh, he sort of started changing out of that so he's sort of three to four hourly where he wants to be fed he started doing a little bit longer overnight now which is amazing yeah um yeah, but definitely there's there's some of those NICU hangovers where he's yeah. had like a bit of a routine, um. But he sort of does his own thing anyway. Like I said, my wee boys are always just had like a wee mind of his own and just does things <laughs> on his own time frame. So, um, he doesn't like to sleep during the day. So the fact that he's down for a oh, sleep night is almost unheard of. I think I usually manage to get one nap a day out of him, which is yeah. just ridiculous for a th- yeah. like, you know, he's three months corrected. Yeah, it's insane. Um, but no, he's doing really well.
0: Yeah, I found. Um, that but I just
1: the... remember there was. Oh, sorry, oh you, go. <laughs> I was you go. Sorry.
0: You go I found with the twins when they came home <laughs> from NICU, they were like in this like three hourly routine. It was great. I could put them down on the floor, and if they were tired, they'd just go to sleep because they were just oh used my to being. Gosh they were just used to being put down and go to sleep. I didn't have to oh. like settle them. Then I had a full term baby who had no nickel yeah. and he like yeah. hated sleep. I was like, dude, yeah. like, you know, sleep is great. <laughs> right? yeah. Even now he has, he dropped to one nap at like 10 months old, which is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Um, He's only just started sleeping through the night and he's 15 months old. Crazy. Whereas the twins yeah, are sleeping my, through at like three months. My guy hates sleep. Hates
1: Ugh. hates hates sleep and he will grow out of it. I being promise.
0: Held. Angus was exactly the same, and like I would, he would co-sleep with us, and I would have to feed him to sleep in our bed yeah. and then lie with him yeah. for his whole nap, or he'd wake up. Oh my
1: gosh! <laughs> wow, I'm going to hold you to that though. If he if he doesn't grow out of it, I'm going to come and knock on your door because it might not be for a while. Like a nightmare.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like I've really. been. We've had a week of sleeping through. Wow, yeah,
1: he. He loves being upright. They always said, basically, from day dot of Tyler being and Niku, wow, your boy just loves cuddles. He loves being upright. He does so much better, you know. All his saturations are like a million times better when he's up, and that's still the same now. He's just the most cuddly wee boy, which is beautiful, but also comes with its like setbacks because you are like, oh my gosh, can I just? I don't think I've done a lot of washing since he's been home, and it's like (laughs) three months. I've just literally gone to came out and bought more clothes because it was easier and
0: doing more washing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yep. Does he like a front pack? Um, doesn't mind it. Prefers to just be held up on the shoulder yeah. so he can throw his head over the shoulder, but doesn't mind the front pack, but prefers no front pack. Just wants yeah, me to hold yeah. him 24-7, which is ridiculous. Um, He's just
0: making up for all those months of being in an incubator. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely
1: right. <laughs> um, but I did remember there was one thing I wanted to say Um, while I was on here. Um, about the one thing I found the hardest through my NICU journey was um, people who didn't understand what it's like on the outside um, Mm. you know who haven't been on a NICU journey and so many um, really well-meaning people would say to me um, oh my goodness don't don't stress you know I know someone who had a 32 weeker and they're fine and they're living their best life and they're thriving and blah 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 you know or they'd say oh you know I've met someone who's got a 28 weeker, and they're just doing amazing. Or, you know, X, Y, Z, they would have like a million examples of different mums that they know who had babies early who are doing so well. And I think it's really hard for people who haven't been through it to understand you can't compare those journeys no. because um, every journey is so different. You know, whether it's a 32-weeker or a 23-weeker, um, you know, that's so different for starters. But even... With that, you know, a 32-weeker could have some real health issues that you don't know about it. Or a 23-weeker, you know, you don't understand that the statistics of a 23-weeker is only 17% survival rate. And so there are all these things that people are really well-meaning, you know, they try to help you through by saying, you know, oh, I know somebody who had an early baby and they're doing amazing. And then when you dig into the details, you realize that the circumstances are just so different that they should never be compared to start with. But um, even two
0: babies that were born could be born on the exact same gestation, the exact same weight, and could have two completely different experiences. Like totally. my boys were born thirty-two weeks. We were so lucky. They were in there yeah. for four and a half weeks. Um, Luca was pretty much ready to come home after like two weeks. He was like, "Let's go." It was his waters that yeah. broke. Um, yeah. Bo, twin B, was he was on oxygen like after we came home for a while, but. In the scheme of things, I've heard stories of other 32-weekers who were horrendously unwell, who were in the for, you know, like 10, 12 weeks, way past their due date. And, like, yeah. you just, we were so lucky in our journey that it yeah. was so minor, like it was so minuscule compared to other. So your story with your 23-weeker could be completely different to someone else's 23-weeker. And unfortunately, it, it does happen where some babies don't make it through. So obviously,
1: yeah, we saw him. Twenty-three weekers, who incredibly didn't make it through,
0: lucky you know? as well. You know, like he yes, so, he's had a hard journey, and he's yeah. been unwell, and he's still struggling yeah. with things, but he's here. You know, and exactly. he made it through. He did, you know. And we're we're an amazing positive story,
1: which is really cool. And you know, while I hope that people will take a lot of hope from our stories, I also kind of hope that people don't take our stories to then compare with other mums who have twenty-three weekers and say, oh. I know someone who had, or I heard a story from a twenty-three-week mum who has the most, you know, a lovely baby who's made it through. Because you don't know what their situations might be. Yeah. You know, their yeah. situation could be completely different to ours and really dire. And yeah, you know, I found those those stories were supposed to be messages of hope for us, and they actually weren't. They did. The, yeah. They had the opposite effect for me. And I imagine yeah. that for a mum who has a twenty-three-weeker who doesn't make it, but they've been told of a twenty-three-week mum who did make it. That could cause them like resentment and and frustration that they'd been yeah. given this kind of false hope and so yeah um, yeah I think that's it is, one it's part really of important I to hard.
0: remember that every journey is their own journey so different
1: yeah and all equally is valid you know exactly. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to say that a 32 weeker is less valid than a 23 weeker not by not by any stretch of imagination you know we've all been through hard things just different hard things and so they shouldn't be compared
0: you know and I think that's as well like your hard was different to my hard, but that doesn't mean that they weren't hard
1: that they are yeah and they're both just as important and should be equally as recognized 100%
0: yeah yeah. thank you so much for saying that I love I love the way you speak you're such a beautiful like eloquent
1: speaker (laughs) thank you I try I try (laughs)
0: All right. Thank you so much yeah, to anyway, for sharing your that's all... story.
1: No, of course. Absolutely. Really happy to. Really, really, um, yeah, really enjoyed chatting with you, Shan.
0: So that was Caroline and her story with Tyler. Um, as I said at the end, she's such a beautiful speaker. She was so eloquent. She, yeah, she just got her points across amazingly. And she was um, so lovely to talk to. She actually um, was in NICU at the same time as Pagan, who we've had previously on the podcast, um and I remember Caroline commenting on my Instagram post of Pagan's story so when Pagan's first baby had her first baby George who passed away they had this blanket for him and they um you know they used it with him and um she kept it for her second baby Maddie um but when they were in Niku the blanket got lost in the Niku's washing which happens um you know, it's hard to keep track of who's what, but obviously Pagan was pretty devastated. Um, but Caroline had commented on that post saying that her and a couple of other mums had actually managed to find the blanket and had reunited it with Pagan. How amazing is that? Um, just gets to that sense of community and those those relationships that you build when you're in the unit. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode um as Caroline says you know every every journey is different so she hopes that while anyone else in a similar situation as them can take hope from it she also hopes that they don't put all of their hope in having the same journey and the same outcome as her and Tyler had so yeah um like I said I hope you enjoy and we will chat again soon bye